0: Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy, too. So sit back and enjoy. Blockhead listeners, welcome to a new episode. Today we've got a special one for you featuring Michael Jancy, the cartoonist creator of The Norm, uh, which you may recall was a syndicated strip at King Features for a, a number of years in the late 90s to early 2000s before going on to Greener pastures over at GoComics.com, where it can be found today, is the Norm 4.0. You can also catch up on some of the uh, previous work in uh, the Norm Classics, which is over at uh, GoComics as well. So there you go. Michael has had a great career in uh, in a really diverse and interesting career, from working at newspapers and doing editorial work to going on to working for Industrial Light and Magic uh, in special effects as an art director um, and then of course syndication and today he's doing work uh, not only with through his own studio his own animation studio but also as an art director for amazon publishing so he's got a very rich background lots to talk about and he is one of my absolute favorite contemporary cartoonists uh, of my generation boy oh boy his stuff is just so terrific and uh, he's he's a great draftsman—that's the first thing that always hits me—and uh, uh, he's a great colorist as well. He's got a wonderful graphic sensibility, and his writing is superlative. It's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's subtle, it's funny, it's uh, inventive, and uh, he's got—he's got lots of stuff going on in the norm. It's terrific work. So this was exciting for me. Uh, to talk with Michael. You might notice some glitches here and there in the recording. Uh, we didn't have the greatest connection via Skype that particular day, and so uh, there are some rough spots here and there you might pick up on I hope you'll forgive me I tried to edit out as much as I could but oh you know now and again something escapes me or it was difficult I'd I'd be cutting off part of his response or my response um, by editing so uh, just be wary of that and uh, hope it doesn't distract too much from the conversation without further ado I'm just gonna let you get right into it right and I'll catch up with you at the end enjoy Michael Jancy and myself in conversation. Hey, Michael, welcome to Blockhead. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, it's it's great to have you here. Finally, after uh, um, trying to get together over the summer and then through the fall, finally, we did it. And <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. So here we are. And it really co- it's great because it coincides with the release of your new book, The Norm 4.0.
1: Yes, it does. How coincidental.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) What a surprise. Um, But it is actually, uh, you know, it's not something that you planned or I planned. It just worked out that way. And uh, I really enjoyed the book. Uh, I got a copy of it, what, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago now. And uh, I've just I pour over every page again and again because it's just such a beautiful piece of work. thank you. Writing, drawing, everything, coloring, it blows me away, it's just fantastic. Well, thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah, so I guess the question, the first question, you know, in regard to the collection is, why now? and why go was it indiegogo or was it kickstarter it was, it was indiegogo right yeah. indiegogo obviously you could publish through anybody you wanted to who's publishing comics these days but you went your own way why do that rather than go through a publisher
1: that's a really good question um mostly it's it's money um mm-hmm. i make more money this way and uh, uh i think in the end i'd i'd probably sell you know maybe a thousand or so less books but comic strip collections as, as books aren't, um, aren't doing big numbers. And I don't, Mm -hmm. I think you've probably noticed the the humor section at, at bookstores has shrunk, you know, uh, massively over the years and as well as the bookstores disappearing. But so there's, um, so I I really kind of looked at the numbers at one point and just realized that, uh, with what little royalty or advance that's given to you on a, on a book deal for a comic collection, because it's a very different set of numbers than it is, you know, for, even you know a pedestrian sci-fi book let's say you know versus you know something you know that's completely amazing and sells a lot so um you know in the world where you're trying to uh, you know figure out a way to sort of where everybody makes money this this actually is a, a fairly good solution it, um, mm-hmm. once i ran the numbers knowing that i have a certain base of of people and you know that mm-hmm. numbers in the tens of thousands and how that kind of um turns into you know by the time you go to a conversion of sale all that sort of stuff you know it's going to be hundreds or low thousands of people that'll buy something and then once you kind of put pencil to paper on that stuff it's like oh well this is this is a quicker way to market it's a quicker way to give people what they want and it's a way for me to actually pocket a little bit more money and keep Mm -hmm. you know keep the uh keep the gears turning.
0: Yeah. And it's really interesting for someone who's as well established and well known as you are. I think it's probably really interesting for cartoonists who are listening up, up and coming cartoonists and whatnot, you know, to, to hear from someone like yourself who's been around a while and has this reputation, this great reputation and whose work is, is beloved really. And, and to know, that, hey, this is this is uh, more than a viable uh, avenue. This is the way of the future, and it's working pretty well if you can build the audience.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Norm was um, was always meant to be a, a niche strip. It wasn't going to be, um, you know, the next Garfield or or even a Dilbert in that sense, because um, the, the strip has more of kind of a kinder, gentler uh, approach to things, and it, it doesn't really settle into just work jokes or just life jokes or marriage jokes. And so uh, the the conceit of the strip was always that, you know, you go wherever norms want, you know, sort of wants to take you. Um, and knowing that I just realized there, it wasn't going to be sort of that highly merchandisable uh, kind of thing. So uh, when I left syndication, I left syndication for the reason that, you know, we just couldn't break a hundred papers and it was time to go back and, uh, uh, you know, animation was calling and so forth. And so I went back to, the the jobs you know the day job that paid more and kind of converted Norm into my weekend fun
0: and it looks like it's still fun
1: you know Uh, yeah i took um quite a bit of time off and uh, when i was teaching at one point i realized i should be doing something and i was working on new projects and so forth and i just um i just didn't have enough time to kind of get where i wanted to go and um i realized well you know a lot of people kept writing and saying you know are you ever going to do anything again and Mm-hmm. well not a lot of people okay maybe three and my mother but whatever <laughs> but um it felt like a lot you know when you get up to three people that's that's a lot of people i mean you're cooking yeah. a big dinner but uh no seriously the uh, yeah. yeah so okay, it was great. like oh well, i could just fire this back up and i was actually part of it, uh, i always forget why i do things but part of it was also that i was working on this idea of converting comics over to kind of video and i needed something to convert <laughs> and it was like oh sure. i might as well use i might as well to use norm he's a he's an easier thing to author than starting over on a new project
0: yeah i, I mean the, the characters are established and whatnot you know at least in my talking there, about yeah yeah a couple of things that run through my mind is as, as i'm listening and and w- one of the things is is that norm's audience it, it seems like it's always been geared towards an adult reader and and you're you're gearing it for and, and who it's written for, because it works on, on a lot of different levels. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, it's the kind of strip, as you say, that would appeal immediately to the younger audience or the Garfield audience for sure. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about it is that coming to the work and reading, I mean, you know, we're more or less in the same ballpark in terms of age. It's, it's this, um, it's the experience of life and the life of an adult and somebody who's growing up and good going through a lot of changes, the changes that one goes through, you know, in the course of an adult life. And that's what I really enjoy from the strip. I, I enjoy also, you know, the, the moments in it make me stop and think about my own passage through life. And I think that's what other people will get to. But that immediately sort of circumscribes your audience, particularly in comics. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's a very literary strip in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know,
1: I, I've tried to always make um, Norm about reading um, it's not a visual, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, that's obviously a visual strip cause it's a comic strip, but it's about the, the mixture of the text and the image and, you know, really playing with, uh, seeing if I can kind of push the, what makes comics really good, which is that, that whole idea that, uh, oh, you know, I don't even know who first said it, but, uh, it goes back as far as, you know, Rudolf Topfer from the, uh, the mm-hmm. Swiss, uh, author from the, what, 15, 1600s. I can't remember when he was 1700s. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he'd come along and w- written this, this, uh, this book uh, and self-published it. Um, and in his forward, he had said something like, uh, you know, without uh, the, the words, the, the images uh, don't have the same meaning. And without the, the uh, images, the, the words, you know, are, are nullified and it, I'm paraphrasing massively. But, yeah. you know, it was kind of discovered that long ago about what was going to make comic art unique. And so, you know, I think if you don't play with the medium that way, um, not that you're a sinner, but uh, you're certainly kind of missing out on on a chance to to really do something that that is less translatable into television or, you know, books and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, or, you know, radio even. I think a lot of comic strips are sitcoms and uh, they're good sitcoms, but, uh, you know, I'm not saying that that's not the thing. It's just I, I've just always been more about. I'm a form guy is, is the short answer. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that comes across, uh, you know, you're,
1: Oh yeah. Since we're on, since we're on a show called blockhead, I mean, that's one of the things that <laughs> Sparky had told me was um, that uh, when I was first syndicated, we had sat down and we were looking over the strip and uh, he had, he had sort of said, you know, you're going to be doing this for a long time. You don't forget to actually, um, you know, create, he actually said Dagwood moments, which I thought was funny because he could have referenced his own strip.
0: But he yeah. Goes, you know, you'll, right.
1: need, you'll need Dagwood moments, you know, sleeping on the couch, making the sandwich. And what he was really saying was that's part of the, the, the daily comic strip is those visual shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote about it in, uh, in a piece that I wrote years back about things I learned from Schultz. And, and that idea was that, you know, a, two characters in a background really set up a strip you know, right. very quickly, you just know what the theme of the strip's going to be about. And, you know, for example, you know, Charlie Brown and Linus at the wall right. is very different than Charlie Brown and Schroeder at the wall. And yeah. Charlie Brown and Charlie Brown on the pitcher's mound, you know, if he's facing, uh, you know, stage left, it's he's Schroeder going to walk up. And if he's facing right. stage right, Lucy's going to walk up and they're not going to talk about the same things.
0: Oh, that's really and so, interesting.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the fun of. You know that's what the visuals can do very quickly. Is you know Norm sitting with Ford means a very different uh, conversation than Norm sitting with Renee, and mm-hmm. they can both be sitting at the diner, um, but they're not going to talk about the same things.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 the way you can bounce off of that scenario, that context, mm-hmm. uh, and and tackle different topics. You know, I'm thinking of uh, of I'm trying to think of other artists who or cartoonists who have played with that visual verbal mix the way that you have in recent memory and and you know i'm not really focusing in on anybody who's doing it quite to the level that you've been doing it over the years i mean you really do play with uh uh, well you know a variety of different visual metaphors across the strip and you know you've got a, a variety of of a variety of norms, you know, there's, there's boy norm and there's older norm. And then you've got, you know, uh, anthropomorphic coffee pots and, and things and time and, um, and clocks and things like that, uh, as well. And, and you're also willing to, as you said, play with the, the visuals One the strip that's popping into my head right now. I think I just read it this- this morning uh norm's parents who have been drawn in the style of a kindergartner or a first or second grader or something like that you've drawn a yeah, yeah, very yeah. simplistic <laughs> form right you know yeah you remember that strip and and uh and norm's talking about how he's imagining his parents at the end of the strip and uh you know i think that kind of stuff is brilliant but it's also really hard to write um it, you know it just it, when you're sitting down to write a strip, a lot of times because you're writing it, it works out verbally first and there's a, a verbal emphasis. And when I think of the big strips of the last 30 or 40 years, I mean, m- most of them like say something like Doonesbury, very, you know, very verbally oriented. The images don't do what you do. Uh, even Peanuts didn't really do what you do with with. um. Well, with there's North.
1: a lot of world building, you know, um, in both of those strips. And there's world building in the norm too. It's just, it's an internal world. And, you know, part mm-hmm. of the, uh, that's, that's something I'd kind of discovered a, not a, a uh, it was something that was going to, that I was starting to develop. Um, you know, it didn't show up the first year of the strip. Um, but slowly, um, boy Norm showed up I think about two years into the strip and mm-hmm. mainly because Norm was stressed out at work. He had insomnia and, Lastly, I needed somebody else for him to talk to other than the reader because Norm does break the fourth wall.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah.
1: the problem with that was that the fourth wall couldn't respond. The, the reader <laughs> can't, you know, actually repartee with him. And so right. I could use that as a framework for for a lot of gags. In other words, and in fact, Norm being very unreliable a lot of times was lying to you. And that was the joke was that he'd set something up in the first panel. And by the fourth panel, you, you would realize you'd seen things that he was that weren't quite true and, and yet he was still trying to hold the lie. And so you could play with that tension that way, but I didn't have that, that two-way conversation that I could have by introducing that, that character. I mean, when I came up with Born Norm, the, the general idea was like, it's that voice that says, get the sugar cereal. You know, when, you, <laughs> when you're buying cereal in the, you know, instead of the, yeah. the, uh, you know, mound of bran, it's the, uh, you know, pick up the, pick up the uh, frosty O's and, uh, <laughs> You know, and, and off you go. And so that was the engine. That was just the original engine of it. But boy, Norm became so such a smartass so quickly. It was like, oh, my God, I, he's, he's a riot.
0: Yeah, he actually, is a riot.
1: And I've, he's morphed over the years. If I think if I would have stayed in daily syndication, I don't know if I would have needed anybody but Norman him after a while.
0: So. Yeah. They have, I mean, it's a great interplay. It's a great also gag, you know. I don't know if you hear this from your, your spouse, but I, I hear it from mine all the time that, that in a lot of ways, you know, I've never grown up and and I'm yeah. not sure if that's oh. the the natural condition of the male of the species or not.
1: Well, I think that's, you know, there's a lot of that in in – in pop culture in the last, since mm-hmm. the eighties is kind of this mm-hmm. idea that the, you know, the, the boy man. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so that, that, that is something that I tapped into because if you look a lot a lot of TV shows and, and setups in, in couple shows, you know, King of Queens and,
0: oh, sure. and everybody
1: loves Raymond and, and shows mm-hmm. like that, you know, the, basically the man just doesn't get it. And in many mm-hmm. cases it is slightly arrested. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah and so it's because yeah dagwood going way back to the 1930s you know was but you know don't forget he was a layabout built you know millionaire uh, yeah, son who, who didn't have to work so uh, you know it was a very different engine when they started which was the guy didn't know how to work and as the strip kind of uh gentrified itself over the years and and you know kind of redigested you know the themes with new uh writers and artists over the years i'm sure that you know a lot of those kind of tensions were lost and there's not a lot of reason anymore to to stick with the themes from a, a strip in the 1930s about you know yeah. that idea that a rich person would just actually go live with the hillbillies right you know because he <laughs> loves somebody and there I were so him. many of those strips in the 1930s you know uh, little abner started with that way there's uh, skippy um you know was actually skippy was yeah he was kind of a middle-class kid that hung out with the ruffians um, yeah, there's there's quite a few, you know. Not, then you look back at all the Fred Astaire movies. He, you know, he was always a millionaire who, oh. who ends up yeah. just kind of bumping into things. Or um, theme yeah. of that time was like rich people are people too. Let's we could all maybe be rich one day. And Dag was Dagwood was sort of that that reverse. Um, you know, he left. He got kicked out of the family for marrying Blondie. So
0: yeah. yeah. So you, but so it,
1: back to your original thought though. Yeah, you know, I mean he was a bit of a child. But it came from that he was, you know, the rich kid who didn't know how to do anything.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe in some sense, the the arrested development quality that you're talking about mm-hmm. that's been played upon in uh, sitcoms and whatnot in the last 20 years, 25 years or so. Uh, maybe it has its roots in. In pop culture, you know, uh, maybe it has its roots. I'm, I'm not sure where it comes from exactly, but, you know, there is this, this idea that the boy man is going to hold on to uh, all of those things that he loved as a kid, whether it's comics or baseball or golfing yeah. or whatever it is. And, uh, yeah. you it's know, it's his responsibilities, you know, for, yeah. for those things. Like, I'm thinking of think, women, but anyway.
1: Yeah, no, I think a lot of that is, you know, I don't know if it's an apology for, for the, the way that, you know, white men have basically... Uh, had a really good run mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so this idea of like oh we'll we'll or or whether it's trying to hide basically the the power dynamic that that men have in society i'm not quite sure you know where where that engine comes from but you know you you see it a lot but in my strip i didn't do it for that reason i did it because uh you know norm has two friends when the strip started he was single that mm-hmm. started the strip essentially when he was at his second job. It's that first job you get where you're hired because you're good at something. Yeah. And first job. They're just, they hook you up to the blood and just, you know, tap you and, you know, drain you for what, for what you're worth. And they don't care whether you're good at anything. So Norm starts his second job. And, and so he's got this friend at the job Ford and Ford's the older guy. Who's also an African American. Mm-hmm. And so Ford's, um, you know, older than him and wiser than him. And then on the other side of him is Renee, who is an old college friend, and mm-hmm. she's a female, and but also she's much more um, focused and driven about things right. and and so forth. And so you know, in a way, I had to sort of Harvey Milk toast Norm to set that the dynamic up between those three friends. Um, they you know he needed opposites, and so to make Norm anything other than what he became, which was the norm, if you get it, he's in mm-hmm. the middle of those right. relationships. So, so, so that was the in, original intent. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so of course, over the years, and in this new collection, Norm's circumstances have changed a great deal. And uh, so, do you find that some of those ideas that you used previously in the in the early incarnation of Norm are they viable now? In yeah. The work No, that not all of them. No.
1: Um, five years into the strip, Norm woke up married. Right. <laughs> Which caused a lot of trouble. I mean, the uh, Atlanta Constitution actually put an article on the front page telling people not to write in. Um, and the reason <laughs> the reason why was he woke up in bed with Renee, his friend he had started dating. And so um, they were really worried about um, this idea of unwed uh, premarital sex. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. they got a lot of letters. I got a lot of hate mail. People just could not believe that I would have two people who weren't married uh, in bed together. So, um, yeah. the, 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 well, the, the, fun part of it were... was, was that by Friday, Norm suddenly realized he'd missed a year of his life. Um, you know, all the good stuff. And there was really no reason when I was kind of re redoing the strip, then it was like, well, I'm not going to put them through some storyline where they get engaged. Who cares? Um, yeah. it was more fun for him just to snap awake. And I think we've all had that in our life. I certainly, I remember walking down the street one day in San Anselmo, California, and i had a baby in a stroller my daughter colette and harrison's there he's about 6 and i look over and there's me which wasn't <laughs> me it was just another guy just like me with a baby in a stroller and i go oh my god it's me and then uh-huh. i looked in the i looked in the the window and, of the the store I was in front of, I went, Oh my God, I'm right. It's like, how did we get here? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is not my, yeah. How did I get here? I'm I'm working
1: out of a home studio and taking kids to and from school. And my wife's off running around, you know, doing executive things. So
0: when did all this happen? (laughs) Right. I know. It seems to, it's just amazing. Right. You know, I, I, I have, um, it's funny in the last three or four years, well, I've lost all my hair and I've turned, my beard has turned completely white. And so I, I see. Yeah. Right. And I see myself, you know, in a reflection, I'm like, who the hell is that old man? You know, it's like a little shocker. And how did he come here? Where did he come from? The last time, you know, your self image is still, you know, I don't know if it fixates in on a particular moment in your life when you reach adulthood and sort of solidify or whatever. But in, you know, my self image is still, you know, I've got brown black hair and a a full head of it or maybe just a bald spot. And, and, uh, and you know, no beard at all. And, and it's, it's just kind of weird to say, see yourself one day, all yeah. of a sudden you just catch a glimpse of yourself as you are or someone else who is as you are. And you go, Holy crap, I'm that guy. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, that's- yeah, that's, that it's, it's scary
1: as all get out. It's, uh, yeah, there's, um, uh, uh, there's a thread in the new strip. When I, when I restarted the norm 4.0, <clears throat> the, the, the whole point of it was that I knew that I, in essence, I was starting a different strip, even though I was using the same characters, and mm-hmm. and the the theme in the strip is is time, mm-hmm. and that's why I've I've actually that's one of the new mechanisms I've used, and so as you were saying earlier, can I use everything I had from earlier strips? And part of it is no, I've I've switched to a six-panel daily or a, kind of a Sunday format, and so yeah. I have I've got more time to set up. So I actually sometimes lament the fact that I can't do daily strips because four panels or three panels is so fun because you're in and you're out with with you know a a little three act business very quickly and with six panels i have a little more time to set things up and in the old days that meant that yes you can draw more but writing wise it changes things a lot but the the one thing you'll find in the norm 4.0 comic collection is is uh is this theme of time is norm will be talking and and his son will age in front of him because he's gone on too long he'll um he'll uh Suddenly, uh, his daughter will age because, uh, she wants to read a book and, and Norm himself, the old Norm and the boy Norm, you know, so there's this idea that one of the new things that I've been doing with the strip is I'm able to actually jump forward if I want to or go all the way back. And so I've done strips about, you know, the pre Reneean period where he's, he's talking about, well, you know, I used to not know her at all. And she's like, we don't, we don't discuss those years. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, just those sorts of things. And so that's that's a very big thing. And I think that's something that comes, you know, from being a little bit uh, l- older now and starting to, th- you know, knowing that uh, there's less road than in front of me than behind me.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, you do start thinking about how things add up. And that's been what's fun about writing this particular uh, f- form of the strip.
0: And I have to say... They're both funny, but also really touching. That one strip, and you're mentioning about his daughter just appearing behind him one day, all grown up. You know, she's she's a teenager, or she's eighteen, nineteen years old, and he turns. You know, he sees her that way, and 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 of course, she's not really. She's still a child, but he's trying to hold on to that, and he realizes he has to hold on to that moment because these moments pass. It is it, it very much uh, the experience of growing older and time telescoping in a way and uh, you know that those those things can they just when you realize it it just jolts you into the idea which i think is part of the idea of that particular strip is appreciate you know the moment now and and take advantage of it she won't always be you know a child a toddler and
1: it's that idea of being present present, you know and and even when they're 25 you you know you you should be present at, at that point and i think that's I think that's what good parents do is that we allow our kids to, yeah, we spend quite a bit of time tinkering with them when they're younger, but, you know, slowly you got to let go of that stuff. And the the key is to be present, to to be a part of their life. Um, My son even said that he's 22 now, but a couple of years back, he goes, it's so weird. I just feel like I'm 12 inside. (laughs) And I said, you know, I I said, Harrison, that's boy norm. That's we, we, you're always going to feel like you're just this person figuring things out. Um, yeah, that you never really have this this complete grasp on, like, I got this.
0: Man, and I thought I was the only one.
1: No, no. no.
0: <laughs> you know.
1: Tell all your friends. We
0: all feel that way.
1: I think there's, I yeah, think there's I one know, joke right? I did, which well, is you're you're, uh, you're unique just like everybody else. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. um So parenting is a big part of the book, uh, Norm 4, 4.0. uh yeah you know, that's a big subject here. And, uh, both the, the, the love, I mean, that that's one of the things that comes across loving every moment of being a parent, you know, and also, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations of being a parent, some of which are, are, are very hard, but then some of which are just day to day things, you know, I'm, I'm flashing on a strip now in my head of, uh, of the kids getting ready to go to school. I love this strip. And, and um renee is doing everything to get the kids dressed and ready for school and it's pandemonium and chaos and norm is standing there with a camera and at the end of it you know it's like he's he's got this image in his head of being super dad you know because he took the picture yeah no uh, he had it, he had
1: one job yeah he's pretty job. full of himself on that one yeah
0: yeah it was, it was great nailed it yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love that it was great i think you know, that's so i think that's the so strip is,
1: i think that's the strip where uh Lily, the, uh, the baby, and she, to be honest, I really haven't nailed down what age she is. Sometimes she walks, sometimes she doesn't. It kind of doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned that from Jim Borgman uh, on Zits. I, I finally noticed, like, you don't draw the same kitchen every time. He goes, nah, you know, I draw what, what's needed. And it was like, that, what a great looseness to the strip, yeah. you know. When Jeremy sits on the roof sometimes, it's not the same roof. And the porch changes on the front front of the house constantly. And it's like, huh, okay yeah why not? I, I was always more meticulous about oh i should have a complete diagram of the interior of the house yeah. of <laughs> a, old hank ketchum had like a bible of that stuff on dennis oh, the man. menace and it was like it's been much more freeing to like oh yeah the kitchen can be any color you want <laughs> sure but anyway so she, lily yeah lily yeah lily changes um age a bit but uh, i think that's the first strip where she says poop and that's the only word she says now so <laughs> I, I landed on that i <laughs> just i love the idea that she she, I haven't done the strip yet, but obviously Taylor taught her that. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> sure. Of course. He, uh, you know, and, and for good reason, right. Yeah. That reminds me of the, strip, the two of them are in bed with their parents and, and, uh, somebody says fart and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Renee thinks it's norm. And of course it's not, it's the kids, you know, because kids love those jokes.
1: Yeah. And speak, speaking of what's fun about that strip is that, um, I actually chuckle at that one because that one actually is is a, uh, a joke to the reader as well, which is you don't know anybody's saying it. There's not a balloon. Yeah. speech bubble on fart. so at first you think norm farts that it's onomatopoeia yep. and then as they get into the the later panels and you know he says you know look when have i ever actually said the word fart when i farted <laughs> and that's when the reader goes oh wait a minute something else is going on here yeah i thought i was pretty clever with that one
0: so <laughs> oh it was great it was great and and those are the kinds of games that you play with all the time and that's one of the things i really admire because when you're working on a strip like that that takes a lot of you know, not only does it take a lot of initial writing, here's the idea, and you start to break down the idea into panels, all that kind of stuff, but then it takes a lot of rewriting. Unless, of course, you know, I'm I'm mistaken, and it all just no, comes no, in right. one fell swoop.
1: No, no it, nothing comes in one fell swoop. A couple jokes here and then there when you're lucky. I think, at best, it's probably, what, one out of 20? How's it go for you? you'
0: You know. <laughs> you know, Yeah. Every now and again, you you, you yeah. hit the nail on the head, and you're happy with that. But most of the time, it's just near misses, you know, or or mm. struggling with it. But you know, I, I I'm I'm thinking that that um, you know the the things that you're trying to do in the strip. I th- I've come back to this this question again: is like that I I don't know of anybody right now uh, who's working contemporary comics of the sort that you know we're talking about based in the syndic- the idea of the syndicated strip uh, and the, the daily, you know, three, four panel strip, or maybe the six panel strip, whatever. So there are probably people working in alternative comics and in graphic novels who play with these things more, but obviously people like Chris Ware come to mind. But, you know, when I think of, of the world that we're talking about, newspaper strips and those that have, you know, evolved from them, there aren't a lot of people who are, who are trying to work both visually and verbally in the way you are. And, and I can't think of too many uh, again in the past 40 or 50 years who've, who've done that. And so are there any people who stand out to you as like, you know, exemplars of what you're trying to do, uh, who inspired you? Um, I mean, you know, obviously, sh- you know, Charles Schultz, but, uh, anybody else who's, who's working that way that you rely on as some kind of, you know, inspirational touchstone, if you will.
1: Oh, that's a good question. I'm not. I don't know if I have that answer. I'd I look back at, you know, a lot of the, the the stuff that I was doing in my Sundays when I was syndicate. A lot of that was inspired by uh, the old um, kind of golden age uh, comic mm. artists and writers, um, especially uh, Seagar, uh, with oh. what he was doing with Thimble Theater. If you look mm-hmm. at those old, um, you can find them in you know collections, and of course they're reprinting a lot of the the uh, Popeye stuff now as well, yeah. but a lot of that old Thimble Theater, um, you know, you used to get a full page for your, your feature oh, yeah. and, uh, the, uh, the Blondies and the, the Popeyes Thimble Theater at the time, you know, they couldn't fill the whole page. They didn't need the whole page for that. So they'd always run another strip across the top. Right. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to that, um, I was inspired by, a lot of cartoonists from that era. So Seagar had, he would do those, uh, these little things where you could, uh, clip out, um, faces or film strips oh, and yeah. then slide it through. And so I, I did that in a lot of those activities, those norm activities came from, um, EC Seagar. It came from, um, even the top of Blondie. He'd do, uh, this very kind of art deco looking, uh, clear line strip with, uh, Mr. Potts or something, Mr. Tops. I can't remember mm. what it was. These mm. real gorgeous things. Um, the other one was Frank King from Gasoline Alley. His Sunday pages oh, yeah. were just surreal, you know, with with these these wonderful color. in fact, I even I literally stole his idea of tearing a building apart and having the the characters walk through the panels <laughs> of a yes, of a building. Norm in one of the books,
0: knocked um, out, loaded. You
1: know, no, even yeah, even there. But going back to the the syndicate one, I. Mm -hmm. I actually had Norm just looking for his wallet or something or his keys. And so he's going all through the house. And in the six panels, you can see the whole house. You know, the walls have been removed so that you can see him running around the house. And then on top of that, because I didn't have the room of of a full page the way Frank King did, I actually made it so you had to tab it. And the next week it kept going. So it was 12. It was a 12 panel strip. Mm -hmm. And you had to glue them together, you know, just silly little (laughs) things like that that, you know, with reader involvement. And so, um, and then the, visually the person I probably borrowed the most from of those is, um, Cliff Starrett from his Polly and pals. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I just absolutely love the, just the wackiness of, of his bushes and houses and so forth. And I, I couldn't do all of that with the norm. Right. Uh, It didn't fit into the world completely, but, um, Norm even lives on Sterrett Avenue. Um, I didn't know. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) So, um he, uh, it, it comes up almost maybe once in the strip, but I I know where he lives. Sure. And then, um, uh, but yeah, just so many of those visuals and and a lot of that kind of that, those visual puns that he would do and that, that stuff's in the strip, you know, I guess, I guess in that sense. And then Chris Ware, yeah, his stuff's beautiful. And obviously he's a person that cares about form and has characters walk out of panels and do things. And so, um,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah. You know, otherwise, so many of the classic people that generally maybe mad magazine in a way, because, uh, you know, they uh, would break boundaries all the time with that sort of stuff. So I can't think of a particular feature that did it, but they all did it from Don Martin to, you know, um, uh, Dick DeBartolo when he was writing, you know, these things, you know, they were always breaking the fourth wall and, and mm-hmm. you know, doing, you know, they were just always breaking form.
0: Well, when you talk about the norm activity thing, too, I think also Val Jaffe and the fold in, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh... Yeah. Oh, you know, wow. definitely. Yeah, yeah.
1: definitely one of my heroes, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, so. sure. Still going, too.
1: Yeah, he. Uh, oh. I, I mailed him a book. and.
0: Uh, oh, you did? Oh, he,
1: cool. Yeah, his wife just wrote me and said they loved it. So. Oh, know, wow. he's, just, he's, he's just amazing. So.
0: Yeah, he really is amazing. He's incredible. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the article that you wrote before about the 10 things you learned from Schultz. And, and you shared that with me previously. I really enjoyed, and, and I've read it a number of times things in it, even at my advanced age, I feel like I want to pick up from what you wrote there. One of the things that you mentioned in, in that was learn from history. Yeah. And and at the time when you spoke to, to Charles Schultz, um, and I, I don't dare call him Sparky because I didn't know him and I feel funny about that. I know people do, but I, I, I just have to refer to him as Schultz because I I, I didn't know the guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so you, you were talking about, you know, he asked you one of the first things, what, what are your favorite? comic strips and at the time you know you struggled to think of some from the past so obviously you've done some you've done some delving in the past since that conversation with charles schultz <laughs> and, yeah and really you know discovered some stuff and uh, and, yeah. and so what is that what spurred you on and, and you know a lot of it
1: wasn't available yeah you know, so it really in many ways it wasn't our fault uh, it was hard to find this stuff you know prior to the mid 90s late 90s suddenly oh, those kind of collections started showing up and then, you know, eBay and Amazon created this used book market where you could find these things, you know, before you, yeah. you were just sort of left to the the luck of rummaging uh, through, you know, your local antique store and bumping into something. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all of our faults, you know, these days. And then, you know, with the internet now, everything's online, you know, it's just, yeah. you can go find all the Frank King pages you want without mm-hmm. buying a book. It's, it's crazy. So yeah. I don't, you know, I uh, I probably beat myself up there a little bit more, but yeah, it also, you know, it's that imposter syndrome thing. At some point, you know, I got syndicated. I was like, oh, there's a lot more to know here,
0: uh, mm-hmm, and sure. I'm
1: still, I'm still a dummy about all that stuff. So you got
0: a long well, way. Well, you go. know, I mean, you know, I think you're. I'm listening to you, and again, as I said, we're in the same ballpark in terms of age, yeah. and so you know, I. It was absolutely the way it was. The only, you stumbled upon things. I remember, um, you know, I was, I, I don't know, it was like, a, I was in a college bookstore in the mid seventies somewhere and there was a copy, uh, I couldn't believe it, a, a copy of this comic strip I'd never heard of before. And it was extraordinary. It was so beautiful. And I, you know, it was called Little Nemo in Slumberland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> there were like, you know, 25 pages of this and it's the biggest comic I'd ever seen, you know, all in black yeah. and white, unfortunately. In the, in yeah, yeah. It was it was unbelievable. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this exists. And, you know, that was you're exactly right. That's the way it was until, you know, Fantagraphics and and some of the other publishers uh, started, you know, looking for, through the archives and and pulling out some of these great things like Polly and her pals, which is one of the most visually stunning pieces of, of work I've ever come across. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, un- and, Unlike and- anything else there.
1: Just, yeah, an absolute visual ride.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I, I was thinking of, uh, you know, you mentioned Frank King and Frank King. Wow. Yeah. That's for, for your work. I hadn't really made that connection, but wow. Yeah. Frank King, his sensibility, the, the, um, the, the visual play in Frank King's work from Gasoline Alley, uh, and, and the, the um, the sensibility, there's a, there's a gentleness to Frank King's work. It's also in your work.
1: Yeah. I agree. A yeah. lot of people, though, a lot of people say that uh, I should be a little ruder in my strip because supposedly I'm ruder in life. So, <laughs> <laughs> like you, know, you, you you always calm your strip down. uh you wouldn't know how uh, wacky you are. So,
0: well, but, is that uh, uh, is that a conscious thing, or is it just that's your sensibility? Though, when you sit down to work,
1: yeah, you know, I I don't know. I've I I don't think I know what people are talking about. To be honest.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thinking about that now, thinking about how close, uh, you know, the comic strip relates to you, obviously a question must've come to you previously. Um, is Norm a kind of doppelganger for, for you or, or a stand in for you? Or is there, you know, have you consciously made him very different from your own life in your own world? I mean, obviously you're drawing from stuff in your yeah. own
1: life. Yeah. You know, the answer is yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, Norm's certainly me, but, uh, so are all the characters, and I think uh-huh. that's the the fun of it is that you get to cast these little facets of yourself. And it's something that uh, I had picked up from knowing Charles Schultz was uh, that it was very obvious that most every character in there uh, and any all those lines that had been spoken were were things that he would have said or would have liked to have said if he could have been in those kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, part of the intelligence of that strip is just how um, smart I guess or mm-hmm. um, witty. You know, each of those characters is they can pretty much all hold their own. Um, the very oh, odd yeah. strip that way that, you know, you look at strips like um, and it's not a strip, but a comic book like Archie and whatnot is, you know, a lot of strips have dumb people in them. There's really not mm-hmm. dumb people in Peanuts.
0: Yeah, you're right. You know, I, we go down the list of characters and, you know, nobody's out and out. Yeah, there's not anybody played as a, as a stooge. In, yeah,
1: in there's this. no moose, you know. Yeah,
0: but right, right. Yeah.
1: yeah I, think so, that's, I think that's always interesting is that the, the, that's sort of the kindness that he's, you know, given to all those characters is that everybody is um, smart in their own way. And, and you know, that's a that point of view of, oh, go ahead.
0: No, I was just saying that's true in the norm also. Right. There's, there's no, yeah, dummy
1: strip. There's, they're all pretty- um, I mean, there are people that are clueless, but I don't know if they're <laughs> dumb. <laughs>
0: right, right. Like Bronte and knocked out loaded.
1: Yeah, yeah. She, she's, that was, that was actually fun to, you know, one of the things, uh, I think I've always worried about is, you know, being too mean to the characters, but I actually started working on, on that at one point. And when I, when I was writing that, it was like, I needed, I needed a, I needed a bad guy. And, mm-hmm. uh, she's she's not bad she's just a little crazy and so yeah you know, she starts, yeah. yeah she's creating problems for people but uh, we certainly all know those people which is they're not evil they're just they're just driving us
0: nuts yeah well um so we'll, we'll circle around to knocked out loaded in a minute um because i i love that book mm. and i i, I really Thanks. have read it a couple times now and just you know i, I I really love it and we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, but, um, let's go back to Charles Schultz and, and, you know, since we, you've touched on it a couple of times and how did that relationship start and, and, you know, what was it like when you, you met him and, and his influence on you and all of that kind of stuff? I mean, yeah, how did yeah. you first initiate that, that relationship?
1: I had, um, when I had, uh, late eighties, when I decided I was going to, um, make an attempt to get syndicated. I had uh sat down and drawn a bunch of strips and I I got to about this was um an earlier project called Normal USA, which was a reinvention of my uh college strip called Normal State. Mm -hmm. Um and so um there there's there is a theme here of the word norm by the way in in all this. (laughs) And I just, you know, for the record, I grew up in normal Illinois. And at some point, uh-huh. you know, and so that was kind of the, that was the thing. And when I needed to name my character in the norm, I actually it was like, I didn't want to name him Mike, but I wanted <laughs> a common name. And it was like, well, I'll use norm. And then, uh, actually a friend was, it was a friend who had said, Oh, you should call the strip, the norm. So yeah. boom. Uh, but anyway, back to uh, that. Yeah. I had sent, um, finally gotten about, <clears throat> I had self published a book. I decided like, this is, this is how I work. I don't know if everybody works this way, but I realized if I was going to get syndicated at some point, I was going to have to draw a lot of write and draw a lot of strips. And then it mm-hmm. sort of made sense to go ahead and uh, maybe do a hundred, you know, just sort of a random number because they always wrote and said, please send 36 dailies and four Sundays, you know, that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, 36 is a lot, but that means, you know, what are you going to do? write 50 and call down from there. I was like, I should write a hundred and then, you know, edit down to 36. So that's what I did. And by the time I got to 100, suddenly 150 was easy. And so I self-published a book called uh, Normal USA um, mm-hmm. as well. But um, so I had mailed this uh, syndicate package or that book off, I can't remember which, uh, to a bunch of cartoonists because at that point it was about um, about four years after college or three years after college or something like that. I hadn't met a cartoonist. Um, right.
0: Yeah, they. they, they, But 24
1: years, well, I lived in Los Angeles at the time and it, it turned out I lived two blocks from Mel Lazarus, uh, (laughs) but uh, I didn't know that at the time. And I've got a really funny story about that sometime. It's really weird. But yeah, I, um, so I, I had sent him off to, um, some cartoonists that I really admired and uh, Sparky was one of them. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was, um, I'm looking at the letter here. That was 1988. Oh, wow. it was a, uh, it was tomorrow, 1988. No, so wow. <laughs> so <laughs> sure it's October, it. it's dated October 27th. Um, wow, and blind. so I had sent this uh, letter and he wrote back and said, um, uh, you, what's he say here? He says, uh, thank you for your latest book. I'm surprised you're having difficulty getting through to syndicates. All I can say is don't give up. Yeah. And, um, so that was the beginning of that. And then I, uh, I had a deal with DC comics and that um, allowed me membership into the national cartoonist society because you have know, 50% of your income. So yeah. I got in through that. Jerry Scott was the one who brought me in. I had sent it off to Jerry uh, letters off to Sparky, Jerry Scott, and then Johnston and a few mm-hmm. others. I think Kathy and, and uh, probably Gary Trudeau. and uh, Oh, and Bill oh. Watterson actually. Yeah, that's right. And uh-huh. so, but Sparky was the first to write back. And so, Eventually I moved, uh, I took a, I got in the NCS and then I went I uh, moved up near San Francisco, uh, to work at a newspaper job and, um, the local Northern California group, uh, got together. And in that I met, um, uh, Mark Cohen, who was a comics collector. Uh, he was a real estate agent, but it turned out he was also a very close friend of Sparky's cause he lived in Santa Rosa. And so, um, I, uh, I had, I was just scared to death to meet him. I, I just, I'm not very good at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, either hero worship or a father complex. God knows what it is. <laughs> but, um, so I didn't actually meet him until, um, uh, I, I guess I met him in S- Scottsdale. You know, I shook his hand and so forth, but we didn't sit down and chat until after I was syndicated. Cause I just, uh-huh. I think I just didn't feel like I had anything to say to him. That sure. would be of interest. <laughs> so it was, it was, so it was a long run, but, um, yeah, when we finally, uh, uh, f- Mark was the one who had, uh, said, why don't you come up for lunch? And, um, uh, and then he hinted, i I'm going to bring a friend along. And of course oh. it was, we had lunch at the warm puppy at the ice arena. So it was very obvious who the friend was going to be.
0: Oh my and So God. that
1: was our first meeting. And it was so, um, uh, <laughs> it was, that, that was, The the first of many meetings, and from there, uh, being you know living 20 miles from Charles Schultz, it became easier to uh, to uh, to hang out with him. And then it didn't hurt that uh, uh, Sparky has a a bit of a uh, soft spot for for cute girls, so it didn't hurt that my my young wife was uh, along for the ride on most of those. So don't
0: forget to bring your wife. (laughs) Oh Oh, my (laughs) god. Well. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I guess it's not surprising. I, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with appreciating, you know, beauty and, uh, anyway, but so, so you, you'd, you'd go up there and I mean, it must've been intimidating the first couple of times and, and, uh, and then, I mean, it developed into some kind of, um, uh, tutelage almost, you know, uh, or was it more than that?
1: No, you know, honestly, it was just conversations always Uh uh-huh and And you know the uh he didn't know he was teaching let's just put it that way okay (laughs) so you know we'd um we just have conversations and i'd i just i knew that he loved the the classics and after he had kind of pushed me to to do uh you know to kind of explore things a bit i'd you know i'd I'd come back and say uh hey you know i I just found happy hooligan he's like oh my god Uh yeah i I love that that's you know i go i can't believe what he was doing with you know kind of this idea of you know the social strata and how these two bums were just always running around you know mm-hmm. you know inciting you know violence with with <laughs> with, with donkeys and rich people sure. you know it's just a crazy kooky strip and yeah, so we you know is. we'd talk about things like that and then you know off he'd go on a, on a story so it was mainly about you know trying to come up with prompts um, I was mm-hmm. never the kind of person and I, I I'm still not that can pick up the coal or pick up the phone and, and bother people so i probably missed a lot of opportunities just to call him or anyone for that matter and and, and have chats mm-hmm.
0: um, well so. he he's he, from what i've heard i mean i had a conversation with ray billingsley not too long ago and, and you know ray had a relationship with him as well and from what i understand you know uh, charles schultz had this great you know love for for speaking with younger cartoonists and uh you know not necessarily reaching out but i mean he was very generous with his time to people who were coming up in the industry
1: yeah yeah he um he he was so gracious about that stuff but so many of them were i Uh i was in a i was in a uh, uh i forget what one of those storage stores you know that sells all the bins and i had my my one-year-old daughter in a, you know, basket. And I'm, I'm, uh, going down an aisle. What, I forget what those hold everything. I forget what those stores are called. Um, and the phone, you know, the cell phone rang and I was like, God, Phoenix, I just picked this up and I pick up the phone and it's Bill Keen. Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. Hey Mike, what's going on? We, <laughs> I'm standing there. Like <laughs> I didn't want to tell him like, uh, I shouldn't, you know, I'm in a store. I'll call you back. So I think I stood there for an hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god while
1: we chatted you know basically rocking her back and forth and finding things for her to do but it was like should... <laughs> when bill Keane calls i took the call you know so <laughs>
0: yeah, of course. yeah, of course. yeah was... well that's cool.
1: so many of you them know, so they... many have done that so many of the old greats have done that mm-hmm. uh, i had an opportunity to drive Mort uh, walker around sioux falls south dakota once because uh we were both at a this uh comics festival there and mm-hmm. and you know i just i, I just realized that uh like, I think I had him and Greg Evans in the car and it was like, he, he just told all these salty stories the whole time. <laughs> Greg and I just sat there. <laughs> Greg was in the back seat, You know, we're looking at each other and like, just let him go.
0: <laughs> so you know there's a you mentioned this thing about hero worship before and it, it calls to mind um, uh, there's this book out now called the peanuts papers and it's a bunch of essays about oh peanuts. yeah i've seen that yeah see it right yeah, yeah it's really you know i think you'd enjoy it it's a really good book and there's a lot of really insightful commentary about peanuts and uh, from different points of view you know mm-hmm. not everybody is a cartoonist but it's interesting seth wrote the uh, the final uh, essay in that book and, and you're familiar with Seth's work. The, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Seth wrote the fine. And, and one of the things he, he writes about, uh, peanuts is, well, he didn't get to meet Charles Schultz and it's kind of interesting because he was uh, always kind of afraid to, and I kind of, I, I identified with that because I was always I, the same kind of trepidation about meeting your heroes, you know, and wanting in a way to keep them at a distance. And, uh, and Seth, in the end, summarized his feelings by saying he was glad that he hadn't met him. He had he went to Santa Rosa to finalize a deal, you know, to do the uh, the layouts for the Fantagraphics complete peanut mm-hmm. series, which I think he's done a beautiful job with.
1: Yeah, they're beautiful.
0: Yeah, they're wonderful. And uh, there's there's and Seth's it's kind of interesting how Seth's sensibility slips into the design and and into the the images that are used you know um as intros as spot illustrations in the in the yeah, book yeah. Uh, there's you certainly born in the wrong decade yeah yeah very much so but anyway um you know i thought it was interesting he he, he said that he was glad he, in the end that he hadn't met him um because there's that that I don't know, you know, that you want to, in some sense, you want to continue to idolize them, uh, and rather than become you know intimates with them or or um, in some way because uh, I, I don't know, we tell each other stories about them, you know, we tell stories about them, and
1: uh, well, you know, I think you know I think, think we can... all worry that uh, you know, the people wouldn't necessarily like our you know what we're working on, and uh, mm-hmm. Schultz had very strong opinions of what was good and what wasn't good. And, you know, who was was working hard and who wasn't, And um, (laughs) you know, to, to, to have a father figure like that, maybe cut you down might not be the, the, uh, uh, you know, what you really need in life. And so I think there's always that threat that when you, you you meet somebody that, uh, you know, you've certainly uh, taken a lot of input from, and I don't think, you know, I think, I, I don't know when I said that, but I, it just does feel like we're all drawing, you know, peanuts sometimes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that it's, it's, it really had a huge effect on a generation of writers and cartoonists. And I think it goes even further than that. I, you know, I think even television uh, mm-hmm. was, was affected by it. You know, shows like Happy Days um, mm-hmm. is essentially peanuts, you know, Richie. Mm-hmm. Cunningham is, is Charlie Brown and Fonzie is Snoopy, um, uh-huh. you know, and I, I don't know if that, you know, if if Gary Marshall is obviously the same age as Schultz, but he had such a impact in the late fifties and sixties on a lot of yeah. writers because of those TV specials and what, you know, how it just sort of blossomed that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was, it was a cultural touch point for, for a lot of people. And so, you know, most people our age say, Oh yeah, peanuts, you know, and through Peanuts, yeah. you found Walt Kelly, or through Peanuts, you found, right. you know, something else, but, um, or through Peanuts, you moved on to Doonesbury, but, you know, it's, he's, he shows up as a crossroads in so many people's background that.
0: Uh, yeah, he, he's like the funnel through which we get to, you know, the history of comics in one yeah. way, and, and yet at the same time, he remains the, the, the fulcrum, you know, yeah. for, uh, those of us, uh, of as you said, of a certain generation. You know, I know younger cartoonists a lot of time point to uh, Calvin and Hobbes as being their, yeah, their touch
1: for them. It is, yeah, yeah, I think it is, yeah,
0: very much so, yeah. But for us, it remains Peanuts. And I think Peanuts, you know, it's amazing you talk about Happy Days or, or television comedies that are referring even so unconsciously to Peanuts. Yeah. There was that development of the cast in Peanuts that was so crucial. The whole idea of, and you know, I don't know how much of this was conscious or how much of it just evolved naturally with Schultz or what he was aware when he created Lucy that he was creating the perfect counterpoint to Charlie Brown that enabled Charlie Brown to become Charlie Brown. You know, and I think think about it prior to lucy's advent and and then you know development in the strip uh charlie brown really wasn't charlie brown in the way that we know charlie brown and when lucy comes along the two of them play off against each other in such a way that they enable each other to become Mm -hmm. who they are supposed to become and ideally that's how a cast works and it's so difficult uh and and it takes a a great deal of time to build that but you you talked about that a little bit you know when you're talking about ford and and norm and renee uh, how you had norm in the middle of these two very different characters and how they balance each other and that's one of the things that peanuts has and and as you said it shows up in uh
1: yeah those dynamics you know yeah those dynamics have changed a lot i i think if you look at the uh, early years of Of Peanuts, um, he's much more of a Skippy type character. He's a, he's a little scamp. He's, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, much more of a Calvin and, you know, Calvin of Calvin and Hobbes. He's, he's the guy, he's for starters, the youngest character in the strip. Yeah. Um, there is no Schroeder yet. There's no Lucy Snoopy's a puppy. And, um, and he is basically poking people. He's the one who's, who's prodding and pushing. He's the one who doesn't know the rules. And so he's misbehaving both out of, you know, impish characters and also just from kind of ignorance. Um, And then, you know, Patty and Sherman and Violet, as they are slowly are pushed out of the strip over 10 years as Lucy shows up first. Well, first Schroeder and then Lucy and then uh, Linus. And all three of those characters actually go through kind of a toddler phase. Yep. And mm-hmm. then slowly turn into the, these characters. And by the time you get to the end of the 50s, Charlie Brown's the oldest character in the strip. And so, um, you know, he's he's then become sort of the the everyman, the norm that's surrounded by all these crazies mm-hmm. and you know, people with personality. And if you look at Doonesbury, that's exactly what Doonesbury was, especially in the first 10 years when they were still on campus. Zonker is Snoopy. And, uh, you know, yeah. all the other crazy characters around Mike, dunesbury he's this yeah. very kind of shy plain yeah, he's, yeah. The norm. he's just this this person in the middle of things
0: he's the he's the middle yeah he's a yeah. ballast in, in some way and then
1: you know uh came along and ripped off um dunesbury and yeah you know the difference is it's just dunesbury
0: on acid you know, so. <laughs> I, I, I gotta tell you, you know, I love, I, I love Bloom County uh, as oh. time went on, but when I, when it started, I, I gotta tell you, I, and again, we're of the same generation. I looked at it when I first showed up in the newspaper and I went, oh man, Doonesbury ripoff. And I, yeah. I and I, I wouldn't read it for like the first year or two, you know, just cause yeah. I was, cause I was being a jerk, but.
1: Oh yeah. You're, and you're, you're, I was, I, I was deep in college. That strip was uh, very, uh, <clears throat> very influential on me. I was, uh, mm-hmm maybe a sophomore in college when bloom county came out and i actually saw that parallel but forgave it just because it was so funny
0: yeah it was so it was
1: just it was just laugh out loud funny i hadn't laughed i mean dunesbury was always funny but he was always very smart and intellectual and this was like dunesbury's like crazy young brother it's yeah stevie it was stevie ray vaughn to jimmy (laughs) vaughn
0: yeah (laughs) just wildly
1: talented and crazy and, and just breaking rules Yeah, My my editor at King Features, Jay Kennedy had said, um, you know, the thing about Bloom County is there are no rules. So he's not breaking any rules. He's just, it just goes where it it just can go anywhere. And he goes, most strips can't do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He really, he really did open some doors and there's a man. It was gonzo cartooning yeah very much a Hunter as Thompson right mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um, uh, Uncle Duke doing a cartoon, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know in a way, and that's that's exactly what it was and uh, really brilliant, great stuff, And it op- it did open up you know psychological barriers that we put up yeah. uh, you know around cartooning and what it's supposed to be and what a comic strip is supposed to be. So that's part one of my discussion with Michael Jancy. I hope you enjoyed that. It gives you a good taste of what to look forward to in part two. We talk more about Michael's career and uh, comics in general, and uh, it's it's filled with kinds of secret revelations. That's what it's got. It's got secret revelations. Be sure to (laughs) listen to part two. There's things in there you want to know that you don't know, and all will be revealed in part two. Uh, So check back same blockhead time same blockhead channel uh anyway it's fun and it's a good discussion and uh and there's lots to go over there so yes (laughs) all will be revealed in the next episode You can pick up copies of Michael's new book, The Norm 4.0, the new collection from Jancy.com. Be sure to go over there and check it out. Jancy.com, Norm 4.0, you're really going to love it. I've read it. It's wonderful. It's a great book. You can also pick up a new 2020 calendar uh, from Jancy.com. So why don't you get both at the same time? Hey, you might as well also um, order his graphic novel, Knocked Out, Loaded. If you don't have that, that is also a terrific piece of work. And uh, if you love The Norm, and I certainly do, and, and have found that to be a terrific book, really, really moving and funny and, and interesting. And so uh, uh, it, it's as good as all of his other work, and that means it's very, very good indeed. So be sure to look for that, okay? Uh, the Norm 4.0, new collection, available at chancy.com. Meanwhile, Jeff Grogan sat in his recording booth and pondered existence. I'm not pondering existence. I'm wondering what the heck to say before I check out of here. And there's not much to say except for follow me on Instagram. I, I expect all thousands of you to now move on over to Instagram immediately and look for Grogan Jeff, G-R-O-G-A-N-G-E-O-F-F, immediately. I'm, I'm, I'm sending out the vibes right now. Go to your, your laptop or your phone or whatever it is. Go to Instagram. Go to Instagram. Go to Grogan Jeff. Grogan Jeff G-R-O-G-O that's not G-R if I can you know yes you will go there if I can learn how to spell my own name and uh, that that will be good that would be a very good thing because you know it's all about likes and followers these days Uh, it's the coin of the realm (laughs) not sure exactly what it buys but you know uh, but please do that okay Grogan Jeff that's me and uh, I was born, actually, Jeff Grogan, but, you know, later in life, because of social media, I've had to change it to Grogan Jeff. So, hey, Grogan Jeff. Um, yeah, and my wife's Mrs. Grogan Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh uh, well. Hey, you know, it's almost Halloween. Like, Halloween will be... It, it's Depending on when I release this, Halloween's tomorrow or the next day. So, you know, get in your viewings of... Uh, of uh, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. M- before you know the thirty-first, because uh, you know you can't watch it after that. <laughs> you can only watch the specials, the holiday specials, the month of the holiday. You can't watch it. It's it's a rule. I I don't know if you I if you follow it. I follow it. I follow the the rules. Here are the rules, and here is the special. Can't watch it after the thirty-first. So you better get in all those viewings now, and uh, because you know. The Great Pumpkin rises on the 31st and takes away all your DVD players so check it out enjoy it it's uh, The Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown what can be better it's actually better than candy it's better than Halloween candy because Halloween candy will rot your teeth and and it's The Great Pumpkin uh, Charlie Brown will fill your mind with good humor and philosophical thoughts so be sure to do that because it's good to ruminate on matters of faith and uh and the great pumpkin is indeed that if not anything else but it is more than that so anyway okay i'm getting out of here uh take care uh enjoy your holiday season enjoy halloween get out there i hope you don't i hope you don't get any rocks so long see you later thanks for listening